you're an executive leader of a specialty brand and you're obsessed with knowing everything you can about your target consumers, you've just found the perfect podcast. Welcome to Channel Mastery. On every episode, we dig deep to bring you what's working and what's not when it comes to winning attention and building loyalty with your target consumers today. We have a ton to share, so let's get right to it. And thanks so much for joining us today. And also thanks to Verde Brand Communications for being the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast, circa 2023. I am so excited to introduce the first guest of the year to you today, Adam Ruggio, who is the editor-in-chief of Gear Junkie and the host of the Gear Junkie Podcast. It's so great to have you here. Welcome. I had no idea I would be the first guest of the year. It yes. feels like a little more pressure than I was signing up for. <laughs> Well, we booked this in December, if that helps. <laughs> okay. Yes. No, that's good. There you go. There you go. That's refreshing. And it's just time. I mean, it's it's really a fake construct. So don't think about that. But I, I do like putting a time peg in there. So people who are listening in next December are like, oh, look at all the news that's happened since then. But we're here today to get your take on a lot of awesome topics around media, uh, around AI, around Gear Junkie and, and what your um, great publication is evolving into. And I would like to start by just having you give us your background and also background on Gear Junkie. Can I acknowledge that we are so in the future that you just said this podcast is about AI as seamlessly <laughs> and matter of fact as if we were talking about the weather? Like We're just going to talk about robots taking over the planet. Oh, and yeah, it's going to be yeah. sunny in 64. I know. Um, it's yeah. not cool. <laughs> Gear Junkie, what is what is Gear Junkie? So we're an online publication, digital publication uh, that specializes in outdoor news and outdoor gear reviews. That's historically the elevator pitch I've given people, although in the last two plus years, that has really sort of magnified. It's it's the scope has broadened and now we're buyers guides and you know we used to be really core sports and now that includes fitness and it includes knives and it's just been building momentum over the last geez 15 years um or so started by a man named Stephen Reginald approaching the mid 20 in the 2010s uh he and a good buddy of his from the University of Minnesota shout out to the University of Minnesota journalism school where I graduated they had a zine that you and I were talking about before recording uh, that was really just about climbing, but Stephen had the gear junkie as sort of a syndicated column in which he would highlight a piece of gear or an adventure in newspapers, if anybody remembers such a thing. And they were short, <laughs> they were short columns, but he was, he was, he had a lot of foresight in that he just sort of trademarked that gear junkie thing. And as soon as he could, he got himself a website and banked gear junkie. Com and just started publishing online. And Sean, his, his college friend, came on and added some octane to the thing. And they just published left and right pretty tirelessly. And as it turns out, Google enjoyed that. And it elevated the authority of the site, which nowadays with search engine optimization, we understand why that was so important that they were doing that. And then I tagged along as a freelancer in 2015 and became a news editor in 2016. And the three of us um, with some business side folks, um, but the three of us on editorial really just kind of hammered away and wrote as much as we could. And people started advertising with us 
and treated us like grownups, like we belonged in the room, even though I think we'd all say that, you know, it was just doing something we liked doing anyway. And that it turned into such a success. I, I personally think is still very much a surprise. It's shocking to me. And you were saying also before we hit record that Stephen has this way of kind of like Kramer kicking in the door, but really in a subtle way, like he doesn't have fear. And I love that about him. And and actually it's reflected in a LinkedIn post that he just put up about 2022. That's quite lengthy. That includes just international trips, you know, taking his kids orienteering and alpine skiing, like and getting strong and fit and racing around the USA. Like this is who Steven is. Like there is no, there's no middle gear, but he's also just so approachable and humble. It's he's a real visionary. I've been very blessed to know him since Vertical Jones was launched, actually, which makes me feel a little elderly. But there is no middle <laughs> gear is a great way. And also he unintentionally has probably the best f- poker face on planet earth. And if he ever decided to focus his efforts on poker, he would clean up. He is absolutely unreadable. And it's not, it's like kind of intimidating, but also it makes you want to impress him or get a reaction, right? Like just see what happens. So I've been on the other side of the table before, but now that I'm sort of in the fold, as it were, I like I love to hear when people talk about their impressions of him. A lot of times it's, did I say something wrong? Steven, did he, did Steven say anything about whether we had a good meeting or not? It's like, they always have a good meeting. It's just, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty matter of fact. He knows his business. He cuts to the chase. And I think that all helped get gear junkie to where it is. Absolutely. And he's always been a mentor to me, just in terms of the way the media landscape has changed. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm going to put you in the hot seat for that question. I mean, I would cool. be remiss not to do that. So again, here we are, <laughs> beginning of 2023. What a brisk year of news in outdoor media 2022 was, um, including chatbots. And we're going to get to that in a little bit because it is part of the state of the media. But can you give us kind of your lay of the land? You've been at this for a while. You went to J school. Like, tell us what you're thinking around all of this. Like, where are things going with outdoor media? Kids these days, Kristen. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a cool question because I personally really value my time at J school. I actually felt like I switched on. You know, I think we all have this inner voice that is our who we are, and that as a whole doesn't change. But there was there are moments in life where you just kind of you know demark the adult me versus the kid me, right? The things I know now and the things I didn't know then. In college and journalism school in particular really helped me understand how much I did not know and how many things I wasn't questioning and I was just taking for granted. And while I personally believe that a journalism education is invaluable, it's worth its weight in gold, maybe not worth its weight in tuition, but it's worth its weight in gold. I don't know that a formal journalism education is going to continue to be the trend moving forward because there's just so much about digital publishing that you can pick up on the fly. And I remember two things in particular that my professors told me when I was graduating, and they were both pretty discouraging. And the first one was, hey, we're teaching you everything we knew how to do when there were newspapers. And just so you're aware, there aren't going to be newspapers. So you're going to have to learn a lot of this stuff on your own on the fly. And number two, a lot of publications will want to hire somebody that knows how to do a thing and then teach teach them about writing, right? So if we're an outdoor publication, we want people 
that get rad on skis or that can huck jumps on a mountain bike or that free solo, right? Like people that, that do things that nobody else does that they can speak knowledgeably, knowledgeably about. Nerd more, out on overlanding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> more than we are asking them, hey, do you know how to use a semicolon? Right. Spoiler alert, just don't use a semicolon. Assume you don't need a semicolon, right? So I think the to circle back to your question, I think the state of the media is still sort of in flux and evolving. You know, we talk increasing SEO is this term that I think even most everyday non-publishing people are at least aware of. It's just part of our our lexicon now. And it is this this moving target that we want to understand without sacrificing at least those of us in the old school journalism, we don't want to sacrifice the tenets of of, of good journalism, good writing, and, and keeping the reader at the forefront. But SEO doesn't necessarily always overlap those goals. So we're in flux, right? We're trying to do our best to satisfy these two things. One, you know, making the reader happy, but also making Google happy so we can reach the reader in the first place. That was my short-winded answer. <laughs> well, that gives, I think it gives, um, it gives us a start, but I want to go a little bit deeper. Let's just talk about relationships. You know, you've been at this going on 10 years, and I'm sure you've made a lot of friends along the way on media trips and going through COVID together is it bonds you in a new way. But, you know, we all had to deal with um, a lot of change and we still are like things are coming out of that. Thank God we trained during COVID because now we all have PhDs and hopefully change management, I like to think. But at the same time, like, I really would like to spend a little more time talking about the ethics that imprinted on you in J school Mm -hmm. and how you think those are still not only salvageable, but something you can really push and champion because that's something as I've, I've interviewed Steven multiple times on the podcast and in every conversation I've had with him, even though he's expanding how gear junkie was covering the outdoor rec markets, whether it was categorically, whether it was some paid content, he's a journalist. And that has to be infused in everything that you do. And I think it's important because a lot of people, a lot of our brands at Verde, every single one of my employees, myself included, like where are the ethics of journalism going as we're looking at all these changes? Because I think one of the biggest cannonballs in the deep end of outdoor media has been the acquisition of a lot of the titles by Outside Incorporated. We don't have to spend a lot of time there. But at the same time, that really changed the media landscape. And I think it kind of put a little bit of a fast forward or a drop the clutch on change. And everybody has their opinion on the direction of that. What I'm looking at more at more about is the wake of that, right? And the people who will come out of that who have integrity and want to continue to use their voice and publish and bring value. Where do you think we are from an ethics standpoint right now? Like as you're considering your audience, can they really trust what's out there? It kind of leads us perfectly through where we're going next. But like, tell me your take on that as a J school graduate and somebody who grew up under the mentorship of Stephen Reginald. Yeah. I don't think any reader ever should give full trust to any publication. I mean, I would love to have their trust, but I also want them to read other things besides just Gear Junkie, right? Like we all need to triangulate an opinion. I do think some of the fundamentals of journalism are immutable. Like I don't, I think I, my job right now as editor in chief is to be a stick in the mud. That's how I view my my role anyway, is to be something of a stick in the mud of progress, right? Mm-hmm. Because we can make a lot of money and get a lot of views if we sacrifice some of the things you and Steven have talked about, right? It's it's 
easy to be quick and it's easy to chase clicks. It, it, it is very, it's easy because we're all talented writers. And if we get some decent pictures, we can make a fun headline, like and we can get clicks and that turns into money. That's great. I do wonder where that's going in the future, just because I have a shared experience with Steven and with Sean, and that's kind of been how it's been passed down, right? It went from Steven and Steven handed it off to Sean and Sean was editor in chief for a few years. And then it was handed off to me. And I was handed the editor in chief role after we were acquired ourselves in 2020. And that has thankfully been a mostly hands-off it's been a lot of resources. It hasn't been without its growing pains, but it has mostly been resources. How do we grow? Show us how Show us how this outfit works. How did you guys get so big organically? What should we do as we acquire more publications? What can other publications learn from you? What can you learn from other publications? It has been messy because you're learning some stuff on the fly, but I have not had to... I haven't made any very, very, very tough choices. I've just kind of been teaching other people, hey... You don't get to pay for a review, right? If you pay us money, it's it's never ever going to be a review because that's a conflict of interest. Like mm-hmm. a review needs to have editorial integrity, and not everybody knows that, right? Those are things I kind of take for granted, but I have those conversations. So the state of the media, I have. There's two ways I can answer. There's there's what I know from my position with my organization, and then me as just a consumer of media, like everybody else. And for my organization, I'm hopeful. I'm happy uh, with how things are going. There are challenges with growth. You don't get to grow as fast as maybe we could otherwise, but I think that's good. Keeps guardrails mm-hmm. on everything we do. As a consumer of media, uh, yeah, I don't know, Kristen, what do you think? I'm, I hope things go in the right direction. I have outlets that I trust for just general news. I mean, we talked about this before we recorded. A lot of what I I trust is more new media, right? Like podcasting. I find podcasts where I identify with hosts and the way the conversations develop gives me a dimension of understanding and helps me helps foster my trust in in whether or not the the information I'm getting is good. Plus there's just so damn many of them and there's never a paywall. So you just get to consume information from different people and different perspectives and for me personally, I think that helps me understand better where I fall, whether we're talking about politics or gear or math or anything I don't understand. Hearing more of it helps me out. But I also understand how Google works better than I used to. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of a casino. It's a bit of a game. It is for sure. And I know that we have, if there's one thing that will continue is the pace of change will continue to get faster. So I think even three months from now, we can look back on this and we'd have some big headlines to discuss, which I hope we can continue to do that. You know, on these conversations, I'd love to continue having Gear Junkie on as, you know, formerly Steven, now you. Um, but I, you asked me where, where my head's at with it. As a consumer of media, I think I became just a bionic consumer of media through COVID. I mean, I couldn't get enough content. And my YouTube algorithm is funny. It's, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Baking cycling and trucks. And I've rediscovered, <laughs> I'm a, I'm definitely a truck fan and um, I love TFL, believe it or not. I might be the only female, like huge mega fan. And, Wait, and Grant, what is TFL? I'm out of the loop. It's the fast lane. TFL truck is what I like. And Grant Davis, who used to be at Outside Magazine, uh, Dimity's husband, Grant, 
is their marketing director. And okay. honestly, sometimes there's a little bit of like, wow, way too much. You know, they're starting things with advertising, but you can fast forward through that. And what I love about it as a former gear, gear journalist myself, I love the testing they do. They literally buy the vehicle and test it for five months to a year, five to six months to a year. And they bring you along on that journey. And I fell into it when I started watching the new Tundra videos with the hybrid engine. And I also just got so much out of it because I felt really empowered on how granular I started to understand trucks because I have a I have a V8, like the last V8 Tundra is what I have. So I was like, I love my truck. I know I need to change because it's not responsible to have this one. And so I was super obsessed with that. And now I just started watching all this stuff. And my son and I, who's 20, he he loves trucks too. And so we watch it and kind of talk about it together. But it's, I mean, that's one example of like a channel that I find value. It empowers me. It's entertaining. It's very surprising that I like it because it's literally all just like white dudes. But I just, I got a lot of the reciprocity I feel toward it, which I think is a big part of audience engagement is that I feel empowered to take care of my truck or understand the vehicle better. And like, I also know that they're actually testing something they own. And then they talk you to you talk with you about acquiring and selling. It's just a different model than what you and I have grown up with, with gear testing, right? It's a huge dollar investment. And from what I understand from Grant, the owner of the company is wants to see it as Peterson Publishing on YouTube. Okay, that Peterson Publishing is a very old school like goal. And this guy, Roman, I think is a little older, but like, that was amazing. I was like, okay, I totally get it. But it's just been fun to watch Grant's journey there. And that's a fun one. So literally when I pull up YouTube, it's either cycling, baking or trucks. And I think that's interesting from us for us to talk about because look at Google working there and look at the interests that it's serving up to me. We're going to take it one step further here into terrifying standing in a canoe territory and talk about the chatbot and the article you all wrote, because that's like basically a, a weird digital personification of what we're talking about on the other side mm -hmm. of it, right? It's the reporter. It's the voice. That definitely had a lot of shockwaves. We've played around with it since we saw your article tremendously at Verde. Oh, it's addictive, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I just would love to hear like how, well, first of all, give me your take on YouTube and then let's talk about the chatbot and like how that came Whoa. to be. And I'm so grateful you covered it because it was damn entertaining and also super eye-opening, which is a great piece of journalism. My take on YouTube. Um... <laughs> so Lifetime Sea Otter Classic Summit 2023 is joining Faraday Brand Communications as our sponsor for this new year. The goal is to deliver the solutions and best-in-class resources presented to executives in the outdoor recreation industries at the summit to you every week on the Channel Mastery Podcast. And we couldn't be more excited to exceed your expectations on that goal every week. So at the summit earlier this year in April 2022, right before the Sea Otter Classic, we gathered over 200 executive leaders from the outdoor, bike, endurance, and vehicle-supported adventure markets for two days of business intelligence, specialty market resourcing, and peer networking. It was awesome because it happened right before the Sea Otter Classic, which literally had about 80,000 consumers there. And guess how many people camped at the Sea Otter for multiple nights? Almost 7,000. Okay, this is a, a very special consumer event. And to have this right before it is huge. We're going to share all the details on the 2023 Summit 
in a very uh, near-term episode here and watch. Uh, we'll be announcing things from a marketing standpoint, but I just wanted to make sure and thank Lifetime and Verde Brand Communications. Thank you so much. You know, I, well, I think I weighed into YouTube intentionally and because Google owns YouTube, like I, I call myself a stick in the mud. When I Google something and the first three results are videos, I will scroll past the videos just to find something written that I can go at my pace. But I think I'm the exception and not the rule. I didn't, I'd never heard the word algorithm. And part of the reason I went to journalism school, so I did have to take math. So it's taken me a while, but I've, my understanding of algorithm is entirely tied now to people's personal algorithms, right? As they relate to their online habits. Yeah. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that you're seeing more truck videos and more baking videos? Like, is it, that's what I loved about newspapers is you had to flip by a bunch of stuff you weren't necessarily going to investigate on your own, right? You just, it, it made you aware of so many other things happening passively. And it doesn't mean you engaged with it, but it was there. Right. Um, so YouTube, um, I don't know. I, I hope it's, I hope it's good. It's not so much my, it's not so much my medium. Honestly, I, oddly enough, I use it intentionally for truck repair because I have, (laughs) I have a 2001, it's a Mazda, but it's a Ford Ranger chassis. They're basically identical vehicles and it it just hit a hundred thousand miles. I've, I've babied it, but now I need to either fork up a lot of cash and not understand what a mechanic is telling me or expand my vehicular vocabulary and maybe to tackle some of these on my own. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I go on there for that, but I always watch multiple videos so I can just pick out the, on the Venn diagram, the thing, all the videos agree on because the rest is just people's opinions. Yes. And I can, I'm not going to break my truck because some guy likes to do it this way rather than that. That's a very good point. And you have to have a screen when you look at that content. That's for sure. Yes. And as it relates to chat GPT, let me just say, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Okay, I have strong back. Why. Let's go I'm here. Right. <laughs> um, it's going to happen. Yeah. It, it's going to happen. And what's interesting, what I've learned, because I've continued to hear and investigate more about this chat bot um, since we wrote that article. So I have a little bit more understanding than I did at the time. And it was co-authored. Stephen, Sean, and I all each did our own little research investigation and kind of came back together. It was a fun project. And I think that that kind of shined through in, in the end product. It sure did. It was a great article. Um, I've learned that it's in like this, this beta phase, right? Right now, the creators of ChatGPT are just collecting information on how people use it. And I think I wrongly assumed that this bot indexed Google, like if you'd ask it a question, index Google to find answers. And that's not quite my understanding, not quite what it does. It's more predicting what its response ought to be based on what other responses are, which is important because it doesn't mean it's giving you the right answer. It's just giving you the answer from what it understands of the volumes, the reams of information it has on human question and answers and information. The information it thinks it's supposed to string together to satisfy your query. And it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. And I love that you had um, chat GPT write about the MSR pocket rocket. That's one of our revered clients, as you know. 
at Verde Brand Communications. And I love also very much that the Pocket Rocket was the first review by Gear Junkie back in 2002. <laughs> like, that's fantastic. I didn't even know that. Steven yeah. surprised me with that one. It's pretty cool. But anyways, we'll put all the links in here. But I will say at this point, like looking at it from Verde's standpoint, we see it as an incredible tool and something that, you know, is really interesting to play with. And it's very smart to pay attention to. Obviously, we're all very much paying attention to it. But I just want to hear like from an editorial integrity standpoint, when you go home and talk to your girlfriend or you talk to a family member and they're asking you a little bit about this, like, how do you explain this to them when they're like, what does this mean for the future of your career, Adam? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people have had just that hypothetical conversation of, you know, things are just going to continue to automate, started with like the assembly line or whatever, and it's just going to continue to build and build and build. And mentally, you kind of do this calculus about what positions will be the last ones automated, like who is safe for the longest. And I guess I thought writing and editing would have been kind of one of the last ones. And I'm less confident in that assessment now. And to your question, I actually have had those conversations with people. And what I've told them is, you know, and you listen to this, the link will be in there on our coverage, the pocket rocket review, totally serviceable, a little bit kind of surface level, but otherwise passable as, as a human. The problem was we did a similar, a similar experiment with a pair of hunting boots. And one of the lines generated in the hunting boot review cited how the boots felt and performed after an eight-mile hike. And the issue was Sean, who was testing the hunting boots and put this query in, never mentioned anything about how far or long he hiked in these boots or how comfortable they were. It fabricated that part. Like that wasn't that's outright fiction. It did not happen, which goes to my previous statement about how the the bot right now is generating what it thinks it should say. So it it understands from what it knows that eight miles is a long hike and that's a good test of a boot. So it tells you that even though nobody hiked in them for eight miles, right? So your question is, how do I have these conversations about is my job safe? For now, yes. For now, I know what questions to ask of an author to vet you know, the veracity of what they're saying to test them. Like, did you actually test this? Are you kind of saying this because you like having this thing the brand sent you? But also... You know, it, it's fair to say, like we tell, well, you know, Sean, Sean came up with this, but most writers, most freelancers who want to write for Gear Junkie, which is totally possible, please shoot us an email and we can start that conversation. You know, use Grammarly, install Grammarly, because even if you're well versed in grammar, it never hurts to have a check. You'll miss something. It just makes cleaner copy and a faster edit for us if you have that. Which you means of, you get more articles, everyone. That was my exactly. when I was a freelancer. <laughs> 100%. No, that's absolutely yep. right. And we can go in. I'm happy to go into that. I love talking about that. But <laughs> that's a first step, right? Right there, you're kind of augmenting human writing with an artificial intelligence of some sort, even if it's right. rudimentary. This chatbot, there are, there are freelancers I've worked with that are experts in what they do. And they've also more or less topped out in how good they can get at writing. By this point, they're probably not unless they sacrifice the time they invest in the outdoors doing what it is they do to really learn how to be a better writer. They're probably not going to get much better. And I can tell you that chatbot might be a little bit better at this point. So I do see a future in which this has a very promising 
use, right? And it's, I, listen, this thing makes a 250, 350 word review in like five seconds. It's crazy. So if you actually go out and test something and you give it all the inputs, everything you want to say, and it can string those nouns and verbs and adjectives together better than you could and faster than you could, and you make more money and my edits are easier. This is all with the big assumption that it's all accurate, right? Yes. Um, which is my job security. Then that works. Then that works for everybody, even if it feels a little bit less romantic from a, a reader standpoint. It is a business, right? And if we can all be good stewards of honest journalism, we can use this as a tool. Absolutely, you can humanize more so, <clears throat> right? You know, use it for Ideally, like a foundation. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree with you. And, you know, even just looking at a conversation I had with Blister around how they do their reviews and get to know like the, you know, who the person is, their size and their height and weight, like this is their preference for gear. Like that's all stuff that I think is going to remain like very valuable for people to see themselves in the story and to also fit in with a brand. That's the other thing. I don't think yet we're seeing brand nuances, brand positioning be brought in by our chat friends, chat GPT. So. Also, I don't just know. just It'll little little uh, idiomatic expressions, little little I don't know imperfections in syntax and the way you speak. I think ChatGPT will close the gap more and more on sounding. Le- it's just it's it sounds a little bit like a bot. It doesn't sound a lot like a bot. So if you're not paying attention, it'll pass. But if you really pay attention, right now it's just a little bit body. It's just a little bit kind of boxy and not quite there. Short sentences. But it'll close that gap fast. What it won't do, it, what it won't do as quickly is what's the there's a word for it? Wabi sabi. Is that is that the right word for it? Um, it's a Japanese word that means sort of the beautiful perfection and imperfections, right? So if something is immaculate without any flaw, it's not nearly as beautiful as if it has just a little bit, a little bit of flaw to it that makes it truly unique, right? Mm-hmm. So bots aren't going to be good at that. That'll be like the last thing when it comes to artificial writing that it perfects. And if you read a, a review by Sean, Sean McCoy, it, it's always going to have the phrase darn or darned. It's his favorite. <laughs> and But it humanizes, like you were saying, it, it humanizes the text. It really makes you understand that somebody took this out and they gave a damn about whether it was good or not. And they thought about that. And they thought about you, the reader, before they started writing. Right. And that's it feels like you're you're listening to a human and not a bot. So that that won't be perfected yet. And I encourage that in my writers. Right. And I also just think we can look at a few things to see a horizon line like Stitch Fix and a number of other style resources that have kind of come and gone. And and that one had more longevity because it paired a digital resource with a human being who is able to really put into context what your style should be. And like, there was a way to kind of round out the base work that I think they were providing with the taking the um, friction out of the process and making it easier from a time standpoint and all of that, like the solution it provided, but it still had like a very high-end human touch to it in terms of like, I have a stylist that's affordable because it's paired with this digital you know, resource. So like, I, I think that it's not new that we've had this pairing of, you know, person and digital. I just think it's now kicked in the door in journalism in a big way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um, It's a little bit scary, but honestly, there's a, at least with gear junkie, 
there is a really delightful informality to the whole affair. It is yeah. not, it's, it's more professional, right? It's a more refined, we have better systems than we did before, but there's still plenty of duct tape and cardboard that hold it together, which is inefficient, but it's that, that, that um, if I'm getting the word wrong, I'm so sorry. So somebody fact check me. I should pull up chat GPT just in the background here. I think it's like Wabi Sabi, right? It's, it's still gear junkie is still just imperfect enough that it is what you want it to be. And when we first got our hands on it, the first thing, like everybody, obviously it's like, Oh no, you know, we're thinking of Terminator, but immediately following that was, well, how could this be good? Right? Like we should expect it. How can we, how can we help guide where this is going to go at least in the near future? And I love that. Here's the other thing I want to just say, and it could be completely wrong. So hopefully someone will edit me. Um, <laughs> we are here in in uh, outdoor recreation. We are not selling vacuums. We are not in tech. Like we are here because we love what we do. We love when other people get out and enjoy what we do. We take care of what we do. We love the community around what we do. And that's something that I think your junkies always had. And that's a little bit of the duct tape and cardboard. We want to see that because that's who we are. It's what we see in our garage and our gear closets and on our kids and on our partners, et cetera. Like that's our community. <laughs> and where I'm going with this is, is kind of back to the state of the media, right? I mean, when I was a journalist, Stanwood and Partners was bought by a big seven firm. This is long before your time. And, and Carson Stanwood started one of the founding PR agencies in our space. And a bunch of people spawned off great agencies from that. And that same exact thing is happening right now. We are in a really, really interesting creative content. You know, just this is the moment. This is the magic moment where I think we are able to see and procure like brand new voices that might have a ton of experience, but who are free to create their own editorial slant and brand right now. Who knows if they're all going to survive because it's hard to do. But at the same time, like, it's about caring about people. Like we aren't, we aren't here to like rifle through content quickly. We don't need to have everything in one dashboard. We want to actually slum a little bit or, or go stay, you know, be in the campsite and have it not be neat and tidy and make the effort to start our own fire. We don't need all this stuff done for us. And that to me feels like it's never going to go away. It's because it's who we are. Sure. We love tech. We love gear, but there's also just a part of it. That's like, this helps me get out and have more fun when I really don't want to be like perfect and I don't have to like think or show up. I just am out enjoying who I really am with people I really enjoy. And I think that media entities that capture that and who we can see ourselves in, that will always live. And if, yeah. you know, if something like this can enable us to like put some of the foundation in place, but then put the true person all around that, I think it could really actually help. I really do. Yeah, I'm glad you said. Do you have an explicit rating on your podcast? Am I allowed to no, swear? No, go or ahead. I keep it Drop it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm no. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about it as our conversation moved forward. I dig gear, but I don't give a shit about gear nearly as much as I care about the people that I've met. Right? Like you're, you're yes. right. I've made a ton of friends. This is my community now. And anytime you're acquired by any business, I mean, it's always scary because you're a person and your coworkers are your team, and you you care about one another, but you also realize. There's bottom line, bigger bottom lines now. There's more accountability. Profit has to be met. All that stuff that's kind of out of your control and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And being laid off from a company sucks full stop, like full stop. It's not fair. It's not okay. And it happens. And you talked about Outside Inc. And that sucks. It totally sucks. And I'm not trying to shine a turd. I'm just being straightforward. 
But I also think that all these talented people that are now free agents, all these people that are out there are a little bit pissed off. They're a little bit more skeptical about how this this whole system works, but they're still writers, right? They're still storytellers. They still have unmatched experience and they're out there, right? And I I point to the Mountain Gazette. I met uh, Mike Rogge at the Outdoor Media Summit uh, in November, and, and this publication has ebbed and flowed and risen and fallen, and Mike has it now, and Mike is old school, and it is cool to see. And I think there are folks out there now that are dying to tell their stories and they're a little bit pissed off, which is kind of cool. Like from a writer standpoint, that's, that's that edge. And again, sucks to be laid off full stop, but there are people gear junkies. One of them, this isn't, you know, just self-promotion. There are other publications, but we want kick-ass storytellers. We want people that are passionate and ready to tell stories and be edgy and be different. And so if there's any hope on the horizon, I feel like I remember when I was growing up, I wondered what generation I was because you'd heard about baby boomers and, Gen X was kind of a thing. I'm for by the way, I just turned 40. So congrats. I, I know <laughs> that's what I say about every year previous. Yeah. I think now I am like an old millennial, but I think I've I think that's the accepted term now is, is millennial. And I I remember when I was growing up, I didn't know what generation I was going to be because it doesn't get its identity until some unforeseen point in the future. And I think right now the state of the media, we're not going to fully know what we are and how things are until a little bit in the future. But the negatives that have occurred that have transpired are creating opportunity that might actually shape what this generation of media is in a good way as far as the people are concerned, right? Because we're not all going to be under the thumb. A lot of us are going to be learn to swim in the deep end on our own, right? Like I had a job for X number of years and I was let go and that fucking sucks. And now I got to, now I want to write more, right? And I'm going to tell my stories. I don't have to, I've got piss and vinegar and whatever. And this could lead to, I don't know, just some really cool storytelling. That's my hope, right? Like I want to hear from people that want to write for me because they kick ass and what it is they do. And I want to read people that are writing for somebody else that are just excited to write, right? That want to tell people stories, that want to break out of the mold that we've kind of fallen into, right? You do the same thing long enough. You just, you kind of, you, that 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 spark and that that energy, it might fade just a little bit and it, it sucks, but it's also just part of it. You know, you got to keep mixing things up for it to stay fresh. And I think right now things have been mixed up and we're going to see some cool stuff. That's my hope. That is my hope. And I hope that will shape what it is that that the media landscape is now. When we look back, I totally agree. And I also know that this is a pretty tight community. It's one that's always open for new passion, you know, passionate people. But there is a really easy way to see passion in journalism, whether it's, I don't care what the channel is, like what medium you're writing in or creating for, you can see it. There are those craptastic YouTube videos that you know are bot generated around something you love and you you can tell within two seconds and you're out of there, right? And it's the same with any kind of storytelling. I really believe that to be true. And because we've been wired to have this in our DNA since the dawn of time, that's not going anywhere. I think exceptional storytelling is going to be what shapes this Phoenix rising as you're talking about here. And I'm really excited about it. I, I can't, I mean, we're all used to change. This is going to be a positive. It really is. I can't wait to see what happens. 
whether it's positive or negative, it just is going to be what it is. But I think it's going to be a really interesting time, as you said. It will show like new creators, reinvented creators. Like it just to me feels like a, a very, very opportune exciting time for people who love journalism and who love storytelling, especially around this, you know, special community we have. Yeah, 100%. My view is always from Gear Junkie because that's what I've been doing for the last eight years, but we depend on freelance content. I mean, we're hiring editors because we're growing and trying to figure out where the best way to go, best way to grow is. But editors, you know, they get to tell some stories, but they're not telling most of the stories. And I we depend on people who want to choose us to tell cool stories, to pitch stories, and we want them all. And that's one of the cool things about what we do. I think there are various outdoor publications and some are long form and we've dabbled in long form, but we're not great at it, but we, we have high velocity, right? So we like to help. We like to keep telling stories and put stories out there and we are super hungry for storytelling. So if you're out there and you received a shit sandwich, please tell stories. Please know that we want to hear stories. Like it's, there are outlets out there. And I'm so, because I've, as you probably know, I've read so many stories, so many stories from other editors, from freelancers and from PR, right? Because press releases, though, it's all storytelling. And I want new stories. I want new stories with a new voice um, from people with a new background because I, I, I've seen a lot of the same stuff and I feel like we're at kind of a tipping point where yeah. we're going to start seeing whether it's it's just your background, or your demographic or your work history. We're going to start seeing new stories and that's great. It is. And they might be art from artificial intelligence. That's cool. That's its own demographic. Sure. But I want human stories and I want it all. And I think I think we might start to see that. I think you're absolutely right. So before we animated there, excuse me, sorry, I got worked up. It's because you're passionate. I mean, and this is a perfect segue. So we're about to wrap up here. And thanks for being so generous with your time today, Adam. But tell us about your pet project. And that is the podcast for Gear Junkie. And I love it. Because I can tell just by interviewing you, like this is definitely an area of passion for you. And we talked before we hit record about how much we both love podcasting, but also consuming podcasts. So tell us a little bit about that. So and everything will be in the in the notes so you can easily discover it too. Yeah. Uh the Gear Junkie podcast. Uh Kristen, we're kindred spirits and that I think we both really dig this format. Yes. <laughs> and it seems like everybody has a podcast that's not incorrect. Gear Junkie has one too. I'm I'm the host and I'm excited about it for this exact reason, right? Like all of this could have been done in an email or you could have written a story and I, you know, do some pull quotes from Adam Ruggiero and all that. But it made it so much more interesting and human when you get to hear people tell stories. It's so fundamentally human and and writing, you know, emulates that. It emulates this, this conversation. People get to sit on this conversation and I I love doing this. So uh, we've been doing it now. We're in our fourth season and kind of under the radar, right? It's like a bootstrap budget. It's unproven. And I just, I can be pretty convincing about some things. And I sort of just kept pressing everybody saying, we should have a podcast and we should do a podcast. And then I just kind of started doing a podcast and it's it's really picked up steam. And last season, season three, we had Alex Honnold on, we had Chris Burkhardt on. Um, we had so many really interesting guests, and I think it re-energized everything we're doing. So this is season four. We're about halfway through. It's the Gear Junkie podcast. We try to publish every other week. And so far, we've been pretty good about that, just banking guests and whatnot. But it is 
it's luminaries in the industry. It's athletes you're very familiar with. It's also, because it's my pet project, people you've never heard of and would never meet if they weren't on the podcast, but they're quirky or eccentric or have done some amazing shit that you just need to hear about. Yep. And we we talk for like 45 minutes or an hour, and I like to call them, uh, what did I, what was the clever tagline? Oh, um, life-size conversations with larger-than-life personalities. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. Congratulations. On trademark. That. Tra- trademark. Adam <laughs> Cheryl. So that's yeah, really that's, good. Uh, that's what I do. Awesome. Well, I, I can guarantee it's a very good show just from interviewing you. And I have listened to a few episodes. It absolutely is. And I also just want to say, like, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and what you're stewarding. The, the whole, like, stick in the mud thing to me equals stewardship of a mission, of a voice, of a vision. And that takes a lot right now to say yes and no to and to really be disciplined around protecting, especially when you're going through, you know, the after years of an acquisition. So I really want to hand it to you for keeping it in the place that you have and continuing to grow it toward integrity. And we all need that. Um, and also the community that's grown up around it. You're giving people voices. And really, at the end of the day, what I think this interview boils down to is you were in J school, you, uh, you understand and lived the art of discovery, enabling discovery to happen for a person, taking information and putting it in front of a person. And boom, there's a beautiful moment podcasting, I think, is is your way of crystallizing that. It's just creating that discovery that people just love to find. Like, wow, I learned something new today, right? Or whatever it is. And they're seeing it in Gear Junkie just through everything that you're doing there. But I think this podcast is a very special thing for us to pay attention to in the evolution of Gear Junkie. So I just want to say thank you again for being here. I feel really invigorated by this conversation, less fearful, and um, very excited about the future, frankly. <laughs> Kristen, that is a humongous compliment coming from you because you've built such a an amazing community and you've, I don't know, you've sort of been a steward and now I know there's more and more people seemingly breaking into it. And this is, there's no better way I would want to have this correspondence than over a podcast. So the pleasure was entirely mine. Oh, and we'll do it more. <laughs> I'm in. Count yeah. me in. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Um, this was awesome. And I look forward to more conversations in the future. If you liked this episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast, please help more business leaders find this resource by going to iTunes and leaving us a positive review and also sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Verde Brand Communications for being our presenting sponsor. Check us out at verdepr.com.